When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. There was the news a couple of weeks ago, and we were quite taken aback. Although I once moved and I went to the facilities, we understand why. Uh, no more Pukekohe Park Raceway after... April 2023, which is its 60th year. And one man that knows all about that is Kenny Smith, and he joins us right now. Hey, Kenny, how are you? Good. So, Kenny, talk to us. Well, what's, your first yeah. me- what's your first memory of Pukekohe? Well, the first memory was getting there in 1962 in an old Cooper sports car. And, uh, you know, it was something fantastic to have a track built close to where you live. And, uh, no, it was a great place, and it's just so sad to see it disappearing. When it, when it, um, when it, did, when it did first open, though, and the, the construction, I don't, sure, I don't know how long that would have taken, but the, the design of the track and, and, and for the first time when you drove on it, um, was it, was it something amazing? Do you remember thinking, wow, what a spectacular place this is, what an incredible racetrack? Well, I did, because in, in those early days, every track we went to was incredible. You know, it was exciting to go motor racing, so every time you got the opportunity to go somewhere different, it was great. And, you know, it's just, it is sad. But I would say, look, it's, uh, we've had some good times there, and uh, I sort of go back to the times when we're running in over the top of the hill, there was no protection. You, when you got onto the grass, you were lucky if you didn't end up in the creek. And, you know, going back in the 60s, there was a Mini Cooper S, in particular one I drove with a guy, and uh, he ended up sticking in the creek, and there was only the roof hanging out. Um, and he, he climbed out <laughs> through the back window. So, you know, and then they had a uh, an, an oak tree up there, and uh, and an angler ended up hitting it, side on into the door, the passenger's door, and it ended up with about the size of a single set of widthwise. So, you know, the track's come a long, long way for safety since then. I mean, that's how tracks were. Um, when you go down the front straight into Turn 1, um, there was buildings and all sorts of steel hanging off the side of the track and cameramen lying on the side of the track taking photos of you if you're going by right on the grass edge. So. <laughs> You've raced around the world, Kenny. How would you rate Pukekohe Park Raceway when it comes to a, 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 a driver's track? Well, it, it is a good driver's track because it's got a bit of speed in it and, uh, you know, if you're brave enough with cars, you can get some good speed over the hill and round turn one, especially with turn one with all the bumps that they used to have in it because the drains from Pukekohe run underneath the ground there and the saw's sinking, doesn't matter how much work they do on it, it seems to get a sinkage there quite often and uh, when a car hits that, it gets a bit mean. But if you're brave enough, you can get around there without lifting off in some cars and the cars bounce around, but you, you hang in there. Sort of going back to the days of the, the 1976 and won the Grand Prix there in a 5,000 car, um, there was always this uh, contest between everybody saying you could never get a 5,000 flat round turn one. 
Well, I did, but it was only a mistake because I went down there and just passed the start line. I'm looking at the oil temperature gauge, oil pressure gauge was jumping up and down, and I thought, oh, that's weird. And then when I got to the corner, I still had my head down looking at the gauge. And I got such a shock, I didn't even lift off. I, I swung the wheel hard into that corner, and it went round. I thought, my God, that went round easy, and I actually threw it in there. So it took me 12 or 13 laps after that before I could do it again. And I remember Graham Lawrence was standing with my father over the pit wall in practice, and he said, how's he doing that? Well, I won't tell you what he said, because that wouldn't be nice on radio. But uh, by the time the weekend was over, there was three or four of those Australians and Graham going around there without lifting off and top gear. And, you know, that was fantastic to me. And then, of course, the You're always, he did, always uh, a leader. Uh, <laughs> You're always a leader. Yeah, <laughs> I shouldn't have told him I did it by mistake, should I? <laughs> when, um, when you talk about great battle, when you talk about great battles that you've had, who are some of the drivers you know, and, and names that we would remember that you've had a good go with? Well, you could David Oxton in particular and uh, Graham Lawrence. You could always come over the hill. We used to have some real strong battles over the hill there, where we had cars side by side, even wheels into lock coming up there. But you knew you could trust those guys not to swing into you any harder, and if it needs easing off, you could just about read their mind and you'd part away from them again. And those are two drivers I really respected racing against. You know, they were great. But Yeah, yeah. Tell us about the other fantastic yeah. drivers that you competed against at Pukekohe, you know, all through the, you know, back in the heydays and the Tasman series. I mean, the, the list of names is just unbelievable. Well, it was an honour to be in a race when you had like Jim Clark, Graham Hill, Jackie Stewart, Sterling Moss, and, and all those McLaren, Holm, Amon, Surtees. You could just ramble on forever with these names. Yeah. And it was an honour to be racing in a race, even though we were getting lapped up three quarters of the way through a race because we only had smaller cars. But it didn't matter. They were nice people. You could talk to them. They were just like you and I would be chatting now, where today it would be totally different in Formula One. You struggled to go and even talk to some of them. So, you know, it's 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 been fantastic memories, and it's I suppose you look back in the old days, but things do move ahead. And uh, but it is sad when you've been around long enough, and you look at some of those uh, guys that come out here; they were fantastic. You know, I even got the uh, and and it was sort of felt like a bit of an honour in those days to help. Um, about two hours before the start of a Grand Prix, Jimmy Clark had a stone go through a fuel bag, and they forgot to bring a fuel repair kit out, which meant he wasn't going to run. And one of the guys said, there must be a car here with a fuel bag in it. And uh, they said, no, they never made fuel bags. They said, yes, they did. They put one in a Lotus 41. He said, and that guy down there's got one. So they came down, and uh, Colin Chapman was here that year, and they came and had, and they said, have you got a fuel kit? And I said, I don't know. And I said, I got a box of gear, and I bought the car. So we scabbled through this box, and here was a little square box, about six inches square, with a fuel repair kit in it. So they said, just we need to borrow it. Can we take it and we'll get, replace it? Well, they took it away, and they got in time to get it going and uh, glued her up. They sealed up pretty quick. And um, about nine months later, I thought they'd forgotten about my fuel repair stuff, and uh, nine months later, there was a box arrived, and like it was obviously a foot square and about six inches deep and had more repair kits than you'd ever need in your life to repair <laughs> with, a, with a note from Chapman, which, you know, I thought that was great. <laughs> and you always found that they were easy people to deal with. You know, you could ask them questions about a car and they'd tell you. I remember with that 41 in particular, it was a mongrel on brakes. Every time you hit the brakes, it would dart left and right and it was quite spooky to drive. 
And I talked to Bruce McLaren about it. He said, take the tow in off the front and put tow out because that's what we run now and you won't have any trouble. As soon as we did that, you could have let the steering wheel go under brakes. Um, but, you know, I know it's silly today if you ask someone to, you know, in a, in a high-profile job, they wouldn't tell you. <laughs> so, of, of the drivers that you competed against and, and those names that you t- spoke about, who was the who was the special one? Who did you when you looked and went, yeah, they they're just a cut above the rest. Well, I had a um, I, I, I like Jimmy Clark for some reason. I mean, I know there was guys as good as him going round, and uh, but you know he was just such a friendly guy, and I mean they all were, but he just was something special. And I was a Lotus fanatic because that's I never ever owned Brabham's. I always owned Lotuses, and uh, and people used to say you need to buy a Brabham; they're a bit easier to drive. But I I was a Lotus fanatic, so. And that's what sort of kept me on the scene. I remember when Clark had his shunt at, uh, at back straight at Pukekohe, the bodywork nose cone got all damaged. And uh, my father and I had a paint shop in Newmarket, so we got the job to repair his nose on that car. And, and then I put the nose on my Lotus I had and, and it fitted on, just sat it on, took photos of it just to try and convince someone that I'd bought Clark's car because had his name and everything <laughs> on the side of the... <laughs> and, and, of course, the worst thing is we go out to a meeting after all that gone later and somebody had put the room around that I'd bought Jimmy Clark's car. So we had the covered-up trailer and as we backed the car out of the trailer, I had a big sheet over it and you could see the guy standing around to see Clark's car in there. But when I unveiled it, it was red. <laughs> but they honestly thought that it was in there. <laughs> that was Johnny Riley and Red Dawson in those days, and they said, "Oh, you bought that car?" So no, 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 you're lying to us. <laughs> see, see, that was, but those was that was the fun. That was the fun stuff back in the day, you know, the, the, it, all it that was. kind of thing that went on. Yeah, in those days, it was just different. Now it's just uh, it's the pressure's different, totally harder than now. I mean, in them days, we did work all night with greasy hands and jump into a car 10 minutes before a race started and you're still trying to do some work on it from the night before. We've even been to Pukekohe and fitted an engine in a car, worked all night and built an engine up and taken the car out on the trail and fitted it out there before a race. I mean, um, you know, I know it sounds crazy. You wouldn't do that sort of thing today. Um, the early days I had, we ran on a pretty light budget when we had a Lola Formula Junior and to get through scrutineering, I had a how to do the old trick. I had to get the black tyre nugget out and put it over the canvas that was showing on the front tyres so we could race and get through. <laughs> <laughs> now, no, she wouldn't drive around the pits with a tyre like that. But, oh, no, look, that, they were some magic days, and it's, it is sad that it's stopping. And, you know, when we got the GP in 76, the old 5,000 car only did 100 miles on a tank full. She had to be very careful you got to the finish. And I had a reasonable good lead in that. And with about two to three laps to go, it kept cutting out on the top of the hill. It was running out of fuel. And Max Stewart from Australia, he'd broken down, and he was in the pits, my father. And as I came by with two to go, I pointed to the cockpit, the side of the, the side pod, meaning I need fuel. And Max had picked up on this quick. So he teed it up with the old man to just fire an open tin in it, take, he'd take the cap off, don't even bother putting the cap back on and hope that I keep the engine going. Well, I went in the pits, and in those days, you could go through the pits at 150 miles an hour with no restrictions <laughs> on speed. And it was a lot different to it is now. You come off the hill and just keep it flat and go straight down there. So I came, with a lap to go, I thought, I've got a fuel. So I came in there, and as I came in, the engine picked up again, 
and like an idiot, I drove straight out the other end and stand there with a tin. And, and then when I got past down on the back side, I thought, oh, my God, I've got a problem. I swung the car left and right, and, and then I declutched so far down the straight because I had about a 17, 18-second lead. And when I got to the hairpin, I gave it death out of there. I thought, this thing's going to coast home if I don't get over the hill. <laughs> but anyway, we did, got there, and uh, to get it back to the pits after, we had to keep swinging it left and right just to pick up the last few drops because they uh, barely made it with 100. 100 miles was a lot for those cars. So, but you do you have a lot of fun, don't you? Kenny, when why did you get into motor racing? What what was the reason behind it? I mean, sixty years plus of racing now. Well, I was just a nut for cars in those early days, and uh, my father used to do all mechanical work and stuff like that. So it, he was involved in doing that, and we were car painting at the same time. and And I ended up buying a little Ford Eight Special. Um, from a bus driver in Crummer Road and up by Ponsonby Way one night. I made up my mind, will I buy a road car or that? No, I've got to buy that. It was, I mean, it was a terrible thing. Was, you can imagine a Ford 8. It had no horsepower. <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, that started it to do hill climbs and that. And then uh, then along came the Bruce McLaren Austin Ulster, which uh, was a magic little car. So we ended up racing that at Ardmore as well and uh, went on from there and progressed into a sports car and then started on single-seaters then with a Lola front-engine Formula Junior. And it never stopped. And, you know, my father did heaps of work. He built the motors. Even though 5,000 days, he was rebuilding all those engines. We'd bring parts out in the States and rebuild, and he'd do all that. So it was a family thing we had. You know, my mother went to every meeting. Um, my nieces were there time-keeping. So it never – it was just a whole family outing, and we loved it. What's the best car you've driven? I'd have to say the 5,000 Lola. The most dangerous car, but the best car. <laughs> they, they try to kill you or shorten your legs. They had the word Lola limp. That was for tall guys that broke their legs in it. <laughs> but mine were on the steering wheel. I, I actually remember that that just, just on 12 inches rods with the pedals brought back, lent to the um, to the masters on us. So we were a long way back, but... <laughs> That was a bit of safety for me. Hey, you've um, you've 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 just been a stalwart for single seater racing for ever since you began racing. I mean, it's it's just been your love, your passion. Uh, you've driven everything that's um, had wings and slicks, and and um, also you know, big advocate for Formula Ford uh, for a very very long long time as well. What? How many how many races do you think you've done with in a car with a roof on it? Well, amazing. A lot of people think that I haven't done a lot, but I have done quite a lot. I mean, we did a lot of Benson Hedges and did three-hour races they had at Pukekohe and then the Benson Hedges races plus the ones they had all around the country. You know, I ended up driving Pamia Motors Falcon with Jack Nozer and from there we raced uh, XY Falcon. Uh, that caused a bit of grief in the B&H. We're after the class win and that and then Ford rung up and said to me, look, we've got the XA's and we want you to drive one of those. And I said, well, good. When will you be able to get it to me? And they said, oh, no, you'll have to buy it. And so I did tell <laughs> words what they could do with it. I said, this thing will blow that bloody XA away. So we did. We blew mm. them away by laps and the XY and that, that one. very happy for them. <laughs> Despite the fact that they have done me you did, Nissan Mo- you did the, the Nissan Mobiles, uh, Wellington Street races and stuff too, yeah? Yeah, did that in uh, Falcon for South Auckland Motors with Roger Freed. Mm. Yeah, we had a lot of fun in those. And I drove 
number of mini cupressors, Lotus Cortinas. So when I think about it, even though I'm not, uh, I more love of an open wheeler, there's probably a dozen different saloon cars we've run. You know, I drove Red Dawson's Camaro at Bay Park and it's, you know, it just keeps going on and on. But, oh, it's been good. But the, the greatest thing I love is, is Formula Ford. When I see the talent that New Zealand's got and has had for years, and to bring them up, kids up in the Formula Ford, when they master the gear lever and the, and the heel and towing and getting into that and driving them right, then you can stick them in the wings and slicks car, and then you get the results. So, you know, that's something we never want to lose. The greatest drivers in the world drove Formula Fords all around the world, and that's even the Australians are raving about it now. They've got to keep it going in there because that's where they're getting some of their drivers for the V8s, aren't they? So, so Kenny, of the current crop of young New Zealanders that are driving international, who who do you think is the next likely one to step into Formula One on a full-time basis? Well, I mean, Liam Lawson's got the door open for him at the moment. He's testing now, so... Um, if everything goes right, and I think it can do, because, I mean, he is a good driver. Uh, there's no doubt about that. I see he's made a big improvement in his driving. Not that he was... He was always faster way back, but he was always wild at the start and would get himself taken out and go for holes that weren't there. But he's quietened down on that now, and he's got the ability and speed. So, you know, I would say that if Red Bull can find a hole for him in one of their cars, he'll get there and make it. You're 81 next week, mate. Are you going to throw yourself around a track in another New Zealand Grand Prix? Why did you upset my Thursday night? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Kenny. He does that. He does that, Ken. He yeah. does that. Yeah. Um, I've, I've, got, I've been in today to be going, getting um, shoulders looked at again because I've got a torn left one now, and I don't know whether to get it operated on or just fill it up with uh, dope. And, uh, and drive that way, or uh, what the hell we do. But they, the, unfortunately, the FT60 Toyota is a hard car to steer. And Murph, you'll know that. <laughs> You've yep. driven it. I reckon it's like an old Bedford bus with flat tyres trying to drag it out of a garage and steer it. <laughs> uh, if, they said we could run the, if they said we could have the FT50 to run, I'd be in there like a rocket. Get the car out and away we'd be going. So I'd right. have to have a hard think about that. So. But apart from that, I haven't stopped because we've got a new six-round uh, open-wheel class now going, and, this, and we will see 25 good cars on the grid this year. There's, there'll be nine and nine. And it's not called Libra. It's called open class. It's just open-wheel class. Oh. It's called now, a new one. Oh, sensation. Formula Open. Have you got one for me? Yeah, Have you got something I can drive? Yeah, I suppose we could drag you out the bush and put you in. You're not too old to drive now, you don't think? Wow. No, I think I'll be all right. Wow. I think I'll be all right. Throwing yeah. some shade, eh? Yeah, well, I, well, I could probably give you a bit of training. Would that help you, do you think? Yeah, it bloody would. Yes, it would. Yes, it would. Yeah. Well, you, you, that open class is good because, I mean, you know, there's, there's nine FT40s, nine FT50s, and, and it's a pile of Atlantic cars coming out for that now. And to be honest with you, I think I might jump into the Atlantic car, the one we won the GP in 90 at Pukekohe, um, because that car is as quick as a 50. And, and a lot easier to drive. <laughs> so there might be a spare car for, for you, Murph. Might yeah. have to put Righto, you in the Righto. Find a spare, Kenny. Mate, it's always good, a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, what, will, yeah. what, what, will be the, what will be the one thing that you miss about Pukekohe not being able to race on it? Is it just not being able to race on it? 
yeah, it is not being able to race on it because it's just, to me, it's part of the town, it's part of everything, and, and not to have it there is so sad when you think about it. You know, and, it's, and I used to love going there, and I'll certainly be, because we're one of the first ones there with others that started it in 62, um, then I've got to appear out there for the last meeting, that's for sure. Hey, um, will you will you be will you be putting bets on horses that race there from here on? Uh, I think, well, I think we have to, won't I? And, and I've got time to tell you about a little. I've got time to tell you a little about a horse bet. Yeah, go um, on, go on, go on. Well, back in the back in the early days, we had a horse running at Ellerslie, and we had the Grand Prix on at the same time. And uh, I'm sitting behind the tote on the old side where they used to be parked. And Eric Mallard screaming out, would everybody get out on the grid? We're waiting. Anybody who doesn't get out now, we're going to shut the gate on them. And they're screaming out my name to get going out there. And I'm trying to listen to a, a transistor radio because the horse is about to line up. And there said to be a three-minute delay on the horse race. So I had to drive out with the transistor on my lap and drive round to the start line. And those days, they give you about five or six minutes on the start before they send you away to the warm-up lap. And they can be dead at set again. There'll be another further three minutes delay, and then they're screaming for everything to go. So I had to throw the radio to one of the crew. And about three minutes later, I came around. There was a board out, and didn't have a lap time. Had seven dollars forty-five and two dollars forty on it, which meant it won. Yeah, there you go. That's. So, I mean, that's go. that's good that you can mix horses and cars together. But those horses shouldn't have stole our track. That track belongs to cars. <laughs>